0: wrong with you, people.
1: What is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The Word of the Living God.
2: All Scripture is stuff. it is God I'll tell you what's in expect. saying God has to provide in many ways, when in his son, he gave his life on Calvary's tree to provide the one perfect.
0: Give us some men who know the truth.
3: And welcome to another episode of Eyes Open Ministry Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John Pruitt, and I'm joined today by four amigos. Got to my left here, the man himself, the Lee Gulledge. We got to come up with some nicknames, by the way. (laughs) It's not working for me. Got Joshua Lovell in the house with us today, special guest, all the way from Rock Hill.
0: Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: Got our brother in Christ, Clay Garrison. How you guys doing? And Will.
2: <laughs> and- <laughs> just, just Will.
3: <laughs> Robert Will, the Will I Am Lures. There we go. <laughs> the Robert Will Lures. That's it, the definitive article. All right. So we're here with our second episode. And today we're going to get into our attributes of God series. And we are starting with one of the most definitive attributes of God. The holiness of God. Uh, before we get into that, just a few quick plugs. I want to remind you guys that we have a website, eyesopenministries.org. There you can find plenty of blog posts, uh, study material, just a plethora of things that are leaks to all of our contacts and uh, not contacts, materials. And there you can also find some blog posts written by Joshua Lovell himself on the holiness of God to take you even deeper into this subject. Uh, We also have book recommendations and plenty of things of that nature. So just check those things out. Also check out our other podcast, God's Mad Men. Uh, It was shared on the website as well. Uh, But you can find this podcast, the EOM podcast and God's Mad Men on most, I would say at this point, pretty much all podcast apps, including Apple. So check it out, download it, subscribe, like it, Share it to everybody that you can to help to get God's word out there. So today we're digging into the holiness of
2: God. We're going to start off by a reading of Isaiah chapter six. Clay, take it up for us. All right, Isaiah six. As in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Amen. So That's one of the definitive
3: passages of scripture that explains to us or shows us. Uh, really, sometimes it's just kind of. I know it's, it's a lot of people talk about and bring this scripture up just about in every context that you hear about the holiness of God, and it's. It's because it really speaks to the significance behind that you know the scriptures teaches that that god is holy uh it's one of his defining attributes that coexists with all of his other attributes and you think of it in this way that you can't define another attribute of god without having holy behind that everything that he does everything that he acts upon everything he is is holy and that can be said about a lot of his attributes really Just about every single one of them in some way plays a factor into the other ones. But for sure, God is holy in everything that he does. And that's one thing we have to get right about the scriptures. That's one thing we have to get right about God. Um, So I thought it was a very good starting point for us in this series to discuss the holiness of God. Um, So what kind of stands out in that passage to you guys in reading this with Isaiah's account?
4: Hey, uh, maybe before we get going too far, maybe we should define an attribute. Um,
3: oh, that good mean? idea. That probably sounds pretty abstract
4: to some people that haven't thought about it a lot. Good idea. Um, we speak of God's attributes. It's essentially just his characteristics, the um, different components of who he is. And we separate them in, um, in our thought and our definitions. And you read a systematic theology book on it. They'll have them lined out and separated and distinct from each other. But that's for our human simplistic understanding. but and, and within god they're all combined there's there's no distinction you can't there's not a part of god that's wrath a part of god that's mercy a part of god that's holy they're all intertwined and connected. every bit of god is holy every bit of god is wrath every bit of god is justice so it, but essentially it's just his characteristics is who he is and combine them all together it, it's the sum total of who god is what he does and how he how he exists that
3: kind of excellent man i'm glad you brought that up that's a good point and we haven't. This isn't a scripted uh, podcast, so you know. Anytime you guys feel something I'm leaving out or something that should be said, please interject and jump in there. This is just an open discussion for us to look at that. Uh, for you listeners, uh, something I meant to mention earlier too, uh, very important. Break out your Bible when you're listening to this podcast if you can. I mean, if mean, you, if you're driving, maybe not the best idea. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if at all possible, break out your Bible and read along the, with these uh, passages with us. And and I'm sure God would use that to kind of speak to you and, and just, here's another thing. Why, why is it important for us to understand the attributes of God? You yeah. know?
1: A lot of people get it wrong, I think, by have, having their own presuppositions, we say, but they start with themselves and then try to build God rather than starting with God and letting everything build off of that. That's it.
4: Yeah, by having an, an understanding of his attributes and his characteristics, we kind of put up a wall to prevent us from trying to apply our own attributes to him.
1: That's right. So we we
4: have a, not a definition as in a totality of understanding of who God is, but it shows us kind of where we can go and where we can't. So that we know God's holy, so there's no sin in God. We break break that off. It's putting up the barricade so that we don't go too far whenever we're speaking about God. That's
3: right. So holiness it's often defined as a meaning. Uh, we think of it as meaning moral and ethically pure. You know, someone who is holy is going to do the right thing. Uh, and yes, that's part of it when it comes to speaking of God. But it, the primary meaning behind it when you're speaking about God is apartness or otherness—that He is separate from His own creation. Um, so when we say that about that God is holy, we call attention to His profound difference between him and all of his creatures. And what is his creatures? What is his
2: creation? Well, everything that we see in this, this universe. Um, I think that's what uh, that's what Burkhoff was hitting on. And in the, in the quote we were speaking of earlier is uh, when, when he was talking about holiness, he says in its original sense, and, and this is a quote from his systematic theology, in its original sense, it denotes that he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures and is exalted above them in infinite majesty. So when we like look at these passages, and we're talking about holiness, you know, that's what we're going to notice is that there's this distinction that God has from His creatures. He's the Creator; we're the creatures, and and there's a, a distinction among that. And if you mess that up, you fall into all kind of uh, false teaching and a lot of pagan beliefs and pantheism and absolutely yeah. all sorts of things like that. So you know, first and foremost, we're looking at God being exalted above everything. And uh you know this this majesticness to I don't know if that's a word. Is majesticness a word? Absolutely. <laughs> his majesty, <laughs> you put it that way. Yeah, his majesty. And that I mean that's what we see in this passage with Isaiah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like God is not a being inside of his creation with us. He's not he's not the best being among all of us other beings. He's we're the beings, we're the creation, and he's totally separate from that. That's right.
3: Um So going back to Isaiah 6, Joshua, what's some insight you can give us on that, being you're the the guy who wrote these three blog
0: posts, man. Sure. So I guess we can just kind of step through the text a little bit, kind of going on the theme of what you were just talking about between God being the creator and us being the creatures. I mean, just look at even the angels in Isaiah 6, it says that they were created in a way to worship God properly. What I mean by that is that they had six wings, two just to cover up their eyes, so that they don't see the majesty of God, His full holiness, in that sense.
3: Yeah, and that's and that really speaks volumes in that capacity, because you know we often think uh, we th- we think of angels being far superior than the human race itself, and yet here we see angels who they're they're having to shield themselves from the holiness of God. How brilliant and how majestic and how just wonderful! It's an unexplainable thing to where you know we see here within the prophets before him. He's like, I'm, I'm a man undone here. I'm, I'm ruined. I'm just. He he realized that in the presence of the holiness of God, that his righteousness is as filthy rags, like the Bible says. You know?
4: Yeah, I think one thing we talk about regularly is how sin has affected the world and how it's separated us from God. But there's a sense that even, even in our perfection, and you can see here in the angel's perfection, there still is a, is a distinct separation there b- between them and God. They, even in Adam's, you know, pre-fallen state, there was still a distinct separation between him and God to where he couldn't um, exist on God's level even before the fall. So mm-hmm. we're, we're distinct from him, irregardless of how sin has affected us.
3: That's a good point, man. That's a good point. The, uh, you know, when the scriptures tell us, and it speaks of other things, other objects, people, or even time being holy, you know, it's referring to the things that's been set apart or consecrated or made different by the touch of God upon them. Not necessarily anything that we have done to earn holiness or anything that, you know, in, in every account when something was separated and put aside and set apart, it was done by God, thus making it holy and it's even applicable to today. And we'll get more into that in a minute. But, uh, you know, we also have to think of God's holiness in a triune fashion as well. So that's the point I want to make. That I added that to the to our little notes that we got here this morning, Is is that the Trinity itself is holy. We often call it the Holy Trinity. Thus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person in the being that is God, is holy. And so is the what? Holy spirit. I mean, it's in, it's in the name for, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's something we have to think about when we're thinking about this is all, all the attributes of God are applicable to the Godhead completely. I mean, it's, it's triune in its nature.
0: And I'll just kind of add to that to, uh, emphasize the fact that Jesus is holy. Um, I talk about this in my blog in John 12, 36 through 41. Um, It says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. Therefore, they cannot believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal him Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him and this is in no uncertain terms John I'm um, saying that Isaiah spoke and saw Jesus in Isaiah 6 the passage we were just talking about so Christ is basically taking on the name of Yahweh when you see capital L o r d In the old testament, that's basically what that name is in the original Hebrew.
2: And that's why it makes so much sense for him to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is you know, because Jesus is Yahweh. There's no separation between them, like you have two different beings. That's not that's not the case. Jesus is revealing, you know, God the Son is revealing God the Father to the people. Uh, And that's I mean that's why that's so important. We talk about all these attributes, is that Jesus is given the best revelation of of those things that we could have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah. People tend to, you know, you hear people talk a lot about how God seemed angry in the Old Testament, and He's a lot nicer in the New Testament. But um, a right understanding of these attributes and holiness um, within the Trinity kind of prevents you from doing that to where you see that every attribute that the Father has, the Son also has, and the Spirit also has, they're all equally holy. They're all equally wrathful. They're all equally just. So there's just an applicable way in that um, these understanding of these attributes kind of keeps you within the bounds of right biblical thinking.
3: Yeah. And anything outside of that, then you basically are denying the deity of Christ. And, you know, I think it's, uh, something I remarkable, I came across this is that even the demons in the new Testament recognize Christ as God. Uh, they, they recognize him Christ as Christ, as the Holy one of God. You see it in uh, Mark one and Luke four, they, they call him the Holy one of God. He is God. God and and they recognize that. And that's that's remarkable when you consider even the fact that there's some, you know, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, even they don't, they don't recognize that. They don't see them as part of the you know, the holy triune God. They they see them as something else, thus taking away the deity of Christ, thus making them a cult and outside of Orthodox Christianity.
2: So maybe a way of 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 helping us really see what what this holiness is and really getting a, a firm grasp on it um, from our perspective is to look at how isaiah responded to it in verse five yeah. uh, just to, just to read that again and we can talk about this verse for a little bit uh but isaiah says this in verse five he says and i said woe is me for i am lost for i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts and so his response is woe is me and I'm, I'm sure some of y'all could probably fill in what exactly he means by woe is me.
1: Anybody wants to jump in on that? And, and the first the first thing he noticed was himself, his own sin that dwells within him.
4: Yeah, I think you can draw out of that is that Isaiah implicitly, without having to really think about it, he, he realized who was the standard of moral excellency. He didn't see God and then think about it. Yeah, well, God, he's off, awfully holy, and, and I'm not quite there, but... Everybody else in Israel is pretty bad off, too. I think we see that implicitly. We're trying to evangelize other people, um, measure themselves by the standards of the world. But Isaiah here, when he comes face to face to God, sees immediately that the standard is God, you know, the standard of holiness that is established by who God is, not by anything that is in man.
2: He's basically uttering a, a judgment on himself by saying, you know, woe right. is me. That's what we see in all the prophets when they're proclaiming judgment against a people is like woe to babylon or woe to assyria you know we see that as a as a judgment and that people should recognize their sin and repent and you know he's he's claiming that on himself just being in the presence of you know, a, a vision of the holiness of god um, so that's i mean that's that's something to think about he's, he's claiming woe is me and he says i'm lost i'm a man of unclean lips so being in the presence of god's holiness is going to automatically make you recognize your own sinfulness, your own you know, moral dirtiness before God's purity. And
3: I, th- I think it's important to notice as well, he's a prophet. Right. He's a legit prophet right, a who was already called a, called and set apart by God. A legit right. prophet. You know, yeah. yeah, legit prophet. And he's <laughs> actually, you know, this, this isn't happening then he's became a prophet. He's already a prophet by the time he is appearing before the Lord here. And so even still, a definitive man of God called by god himself is saying woe is me i mean that's that, to me that's a very important factor that we got to understand about us today you know we're not superior to anybody else we're not we're not we're not holy or in a sense of our own doing we're not like the pharisees you know that you see throughout the description we'll get more in that possibly in the next few minutes but what does it mean we need to really define here what does it mean for us oh go ahead lee you got something there go ahead <laughs>
1: Here's a line from R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, what we were just talking about. The older versions, I think the King James may use undone. What was me for I am undone? To be undone means to come apart at the seams, to be unraveled. What Isaiah was expressing is what modern psychologists describe as the experience of personal disintegration. Wow, yeah. And I say this gingerly, but a lot of the modern-day charismatic and Pentecostal they cry out for holiness and want to see god and fire and stuff and they really have no clue what they're talking about because this is the effect of actually coming in, having an encounter with god you know it's not blessings and all of the other stuff that people talk about today
4: yeah. yeah i think it could serve to show you that if um if you're still harboring any kind of feelings of righteousness or you know, goodness within yourself then you probably haven't had the encounter with god similar to isaiah the it, sh- it shows you that Isaiah's probably If not the, one of the most holy people in Israel then, but yet he's, you know, he's feeling like he's the worst man on earth. So I think it's a good principle to the, that can apply to everything in life. That the closer you are to God, the more you'll see your sin.
2: That's the more holiness,
4: the more sanctified you become, the less sanctified you feel.
2: That's good. That's what Burkhoff also says this about, about holiness. And it's along these same lines. It says it awakens in man, a sense of absolute nothingness, a creature consciousness or creature feeling leading to absolute self-abasement and that's the idea we don't really like in our culture the idea of self-abasement you know we're all about self-esteem and building ourselves up and it's kind of the effects of humanism you know whenever you make humans god then your natural result is to make you feel the best you can about yourself but whenever you realize that you're a creature under a creator's rule living by his standard living you know in his world uh, then you recognize that you need to be humbled before him I think, I mean, that's that's what God's holiness does. Whenever you uh, truly experience God, you know, through his word and, and really see his holiness, you know, it, it leads to that self-abasement. Not that you're you know like hurting yourself or anything like that, but it's this this total humility that you're forced to come to because of the holiness of God. Yeah. Amen.
0: And um I believe the reaction that you see Isaiah have. You know why does he have this reaction and I believe Psalm 5 um, 4 through 5 kind of tell us basically because it says for you are not a God who delights in wickedness evil may not dwell with you so even sinful people cannot be and coexist in the same area with God in that sense
4: yeah. Right, just pointing back to that that standard that god is is perfect and he demands perfection from us so any relation we have to him must be mediated
2: by by a perfect um mediator in a sense we see the same thing on mount sinai whenever you know, moses goes up the mountain he tells the people to to consecrate themselves but even when they're consecrated he tells them don't come near the base of that mountain yeah. or you're just <laughs> you know, you're going to be struck dead like you're going to touch dunk.
0: the ark yes, Yeah, it's <laughs> great
2: yeah. Don't come near it. And the only reason Moses was there was because he was set apart and God allowed that and then consecrated him for that purpose yeah. uh, and you know, allowed him in his presence. Uh, obviously, there's some forward-pointing things that we're looking at there as to why Moses could stand before God. Free will. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, Josh made a good point and uh I forget which one it was. I think it was part two or something where he was talking about the countenance of Moses after being there with with God, and, and and he had to veil himself and everything. That that kind of speaks yeah. a little
0: bit. Yeah, basically the effect of just being in the presence of God's holiness, what that even has on us.
3: Yeah. So that coming into effect then. So let me play devil's advocate before we go any further here. So if God is, is holy, then what's to the deal with his wrath? If he's so holy, pure, and
1: perfect, then why is there a hell? they won't take that one up
2: because he's holy pure <laughs> and I, was like,
1: <laughs> I was I was thinking when robert was um talking earlier about the attributes that he executes wrath in love and so it's not he he was making the point that he's not separate god doesn't he love over here and wrath and justice over here it's all done together and uh that that therefore we have hell and in the old testament that's why god could say go in Completely wipe out the Amalekites, every person, every animal. It, 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 it was because of the sin that dwelled in them. And God being so pure, he could do that. And that goes back to when we see that in ourselves, we should be more thankful for the grace of God that we, every breath we take is because of his mercy, executed in love and however you want to, you know, word it. Right.
4: So it's, it's a holy wrath against sin. So it, it is not just um wrath against sin it's, it's good that god hates sin like that that that's tough for us to take because we know that sin dwells in us so it is but it is it's good it's a holy wrath against sin if he didn't hate sin and intend to punish it righteously then then he wouldn't be holy so that wrath
2: against sin is essential to to his holiness yeah. I almost say like for god so loved the world that he won't let sin go unpunished
1: that's right mean.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it comes out of I mean, that's part of his love too, is to not let sin remain. Right. To do something about it, because he's a God of justice as well, uh,
3: God of mercy, God of grace, and and all those things he is holy. And w- and we'll get more into those subjects as we go through this uh, series on attributes as well. Uh,
2: so another point we need to look at is is in verse three of Isaiah six, whenever he the the seraphim are having their declaration to the Lord. They say that he's holy 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 and you know that's like the only time that you really see attribute or an attribute you know, stated three times and you know in the in the Hebrew language that's one of the things that we miss sometimes whenever we're just talking about uh, English translations and things like that is we don't always have a significance to reputi- repetition the same way that you know the Hebrew language did and whenever things are repeated three times in Hebrew, It's almost like it's in the superlative sense. So whenever we would say something is good, or it's better, or it's best, you know, the the best is the is the superlative. That's the and in in their language, it's like the third degree almost, but it's the highest, it's the most, it's you know, the greatest that it can be. And so whenever he you know he says holy, 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 you know what's saying is that the Lord is the holiest. There's none more holy than He is. It's to the highest degree. And so that's something that we should consider when we're talking about holiness is the 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 degree that the seraphim are proclaiming that he is holy
0: and when you think about how god is holy to the highest degree possible you you really got to compare yourself to that and realize that you know we don't measure up to that degree of holiness in any sense and um if you look at isaiah sorry exodus 33 um It's about verse 18 through 23. This is something that Moses requested from God. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live and it goes on to say that um god will pass before him but he's going to cover him in the cleft of a rock first and pass where his back parts are showing to him but not his face and that's not god you know rejecting his request to be mean but because he loves moses and he knows that no man can see his face and live no creature
3: that's right even he was he was changed after that. I mean it said I think it's saying like his beard turned white and everything like that from just the brilliance of God's
2: holiness and majesty just totally altered how even Moses looked. That mm. might be that might be an opportunity there to to maybe talking about our own personal holiness mm. and a good way to go into that might be uh your quote that that Lee had another quote from RC Sproul's book was you know we just talked about how Moses wasn't allowed to look at God's face and frequently in the Old Testament there's a this idea of God's face shining upon you, you that that being a a type of God's blessing, His face shining upon you. But this idea that we we can't be in God's presence, we can't be in God's face, see His face, because of our own sinfulness, our own unrighteousness. But yet there's this hope that we have for the future, and uh, that's what Lee's going to read in a quote.
1: So he starts in 1 John 3, 2 with the verse, Now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And his, his quote, here is the promise of God. We shall see Him as He is. Theologians call this future expectation the beatific vision. We will see God as He is. This means that someday we will see God face to face. We will not see the reflected glory of a burning bush or a pillar of cloud. We will see him as he is, as he is in his pure divine essence.
3: Amen. And that's, and that really, uh, helps us bring in transition into this segment of it as well. We want to discuss what does it mean that we are to be holy? So, you know, it's, is it by our own account? Is it something that we have done? Is it by our own works and effort that makes us holy? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15-16 through 16 says, uh, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Which is quoting Leviticus 18 there. Um, so what does that mean for us in the application of, as Christians for us to be holy?
1: My first thought goes back to Jesus preaching and says, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees, I'm just kind of paraphrasing all this, the Pharisees saying, well, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, yes, but even if you look at a woman, you've already done it in your heart. So that's, that sort of sets apart God's holiness and righteousness and the righteousness that Jesus lived out on our behalf. That separates that from all of our own works of righteousness. The best that we could do, we may not physically commit an act but in our minds it's already happened the thought is there even if we don't act on it
4: yeah i think the, the first step in that is to you know when you come face to face with the holiness of god you see And the first step to sanctification is realizing that you're not holy so you know he's saying to us be holy as i'm holy the first our first reaction is um how how in the world there's no, there's no way to do that and so that's that's how you start the um the process is to realize you're not holy and then that obviously should lead to repentance and then you should seek forgiveness because you you are not holy
2: then you have the 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 tension or the struggle when you read passages like uh, Hebrews 12 14 where it says strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord I mean so (laughs) you have this aspect of I can't be holy but yet nobody's seeing the Lord without Holiness. So what am I to do about this situation? Woe is me. Yeah, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. (laughs) You know, and
3: it, it calls attention to the sense that we have to fight the desire to sin. That we should be like obedient children. But in no way is that earning our salvation. No in no way is that earning favor with God in that capacity, I don't think, as as far as salvation is concerned. Um, but it we're 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 told to be holy like he is because well you see Jesus's confrontation with the Pharisees throughout the New Testament and the Gospels there is that uh you know pharisee literally means one who is separated that the Pharisees separated themselves unto holiness their holiness was plain for everyone to see it was it was put out there in a, in a in a works based type of way to say, look at me, look at how holy I am. And you know, you got the instance where the guy was praying and he was crying and he was all then the Pharisees started praying too out loud. Everybody in here said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this man. That's the, that's the hypocritical type of holiness. That's the one that you're doing as an outward appearance to, to appease and please man and not God. It always comes back. Jesus always brought everything
2: back to a heart issue. About. And, and um, in, in their case, they were adhering to their man, man-made commands, you know, their own traditions rather than, you know, the actual law. You know, Jesus was telling them, you know, you, you, you basically make your own traditions and, uh, you know, tithing, you know, the smallest little things that you can find, you know, tithing that, but yet you don't honor your father and your mother. Right. You, you know, you say, well, if I do this, then that covers my right. honoring, you know, so they mm-hmm. they, you know, chunked out God's command, which shows his holiness and decide to do their own command because they're easier to keep you know it's easy to say let me take some of the you know a tithe from this and you know that's measurable but when it's talking about honoring your father your mother it's talking you know jesus takes it you know to the degree that it gets down to the heart you know for a lot of people it's easy not to commit adultery and go you know sleep with another person physically but it's even harder to make sure your heart remains pure and you don't lust after someone and i don't know that i've met somebody that hasn't you know committed mm-hmm. that you know broken that command but i i think ultimately you know we're talking about this holiness we've got to work that takes us back to the trinity you know we talked about the trinity earlier is that you know we can we can try and pursue this holiness all that we want by our own strength you know but ultimately this holiness has been provided for us you know we read this hebrews the, you know the verse from hebrews that you know without that holiness no one's going to see the lord You know, if if it it's based on our striving and our work then we're totally done you might as well give up now but god's provided he's first off you know shown that holiness and displayed it in christ and then he's given us the holy spirit that works that not only you know gives us that holiness but then works that holiness in us so that we look more and more like the holiness of christ that's our sanctification that's
3: that's important to understand it's making us and the holy spirit is directing us to be more and more like christ who is the ultimate example of holiness um And I think a lot of people get that mixed up. A lot of people get that very confused in the church world today, um, that we have to earn it in some way. Uh, But we are made holy through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We are holy because we are made holy because He is holy. You know that is that's very imperative to that. And and even though there is our sanctification, even still, it is Christ working through us in the power of the Holy Spirit to be holy not again anything we have done
2: but him working through yeah, it. anything you do you wouldn't have been able to do apart from him working exactly. in you and through you to
1: accomplish that the thing about galatians paul said having started in the spirit are you now being per- perfected by the flesh yeah not yeah on your own
4: i think another verse that maybe kind of puts that out a little more clearly is um philippians 2 uh, 12 and 13 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that, that sanctification is not brought about by our own effort. It's, it's God working within us, not only to, to behave as he will, but even to give us the will, give us the, the, the desire to, to seek out those holy things. So it's all that we do. Our sanctification is ultimately brought about by God for that doesn't leave us without the um, obligation to strive for it, it's, but it is at, at root God working within us for, for that striving.
0: Right. I would say we're, we're only able to live holy and to grow in sanctification because of the Holy spirit.
3: Yep. So kind of pivot a little bit, unless you guys don't talk more about the hostility towards the Holy. Um, and I wanted to include this in that because in today's world, we see a form of persecution of the church and hostility towards Christian moral values when it comes to these things. And that's why I kind of want to include this in here. But before we go there, is there anything else anybody want to say on that? subject before we pivot to that, okay. All right. So I got a good, not a great story, but it's one I like to tell. <laughs> uh when i first started in the ministry uh i was my grandfather's associate pastor and he was kind of teaching me we was hanging out a lot and everything that was very blessed time for me and we were going to bojangles one morning and uh as we walked in a guy goes yonder comes to preacher and yonder was the actual word that was used (laughs) (laughs) yonder comes to preacher and the whole atmosphere changed the whole atmosphere changed and uh and I was like, man, that's interesting. You know, my grandpa, he would he he would talk about it from time to time. It was like, you know, it's amazing how you're as a Christian, those friends that you used to have and things like that, they kind of turn against you in a sense. Or he always joked he was the black sheep of the family because he was the only preacher in the family. You know, nothing kills a party like a a, a preacher showing up. And I've definitely experienced that myself. Just ask Clay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's there's a there seems to be a hostility towards holiness there's a you know sinful people are not comfortable in the presence of the holy uh we see that here with isaiah you know when he's in the presence of god he's not comfortable with it we see it with peter first comes in contact with jesus he says lord depart from me i'm a sinner you know and uh there's a threatening power of jesus's holiness is still felt in the world today through his followers um and it's transferred to us believers you know, as the Jews at the foot of Mount Sinai fled in terror from Moses' face, like we was talking about earlier, his, his countenance all changed and he, he had to wear a veil and everything. They were uncomfortable with the mere presence of genuine faith and holiness that, that comes through Christ in us. Um, so, you know, Proverbs 28 and 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. You know, so the identification of the church with Christ can have a strange effect on people. Um, and I just kind of want to bring attention to that in a sense because we, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians take a step back when they come across that. Right. Um. I'm guilty of it when I when I've been to parties. Oh, I'm I, I'm just the same old John. You know. You know, it's okay. Y'all can don't you know don't worry about how you talk around me or anything like that. And I'm I'm a cool
1: guy still. You know. Right. So, <laughs> well, I'm
4: not one of those Christians. Yeah.
1: Right. And we all want to be accepted you know but yeah it, that's just natural human relationships you won't you don't want to be an antagonist all your life
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the point is though we shouldn't sacrifice our sanctification in a sense right. we should not uh suffocate or i think in the sense of grieving the holy spirit by wanting to be accepted by our fellow man rather than the the praise of god you know what i'm saying it's right. like uh I'm gonna put god on the back burner here and go to this party so i can hang out and have a good time with my friends well right. you can still go to the party just be a child of god when you're right. there remember that that you have a holy party yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you can take it you know to the extreme and to think that you're you know like god's manifestation on earth to where you're going around making everybody feared you know maybe they just don't like you but maybe it is your holiness you know as we're becoming more like christ that the world will recognize it more and they'll see and be opposed to it so in a sense there there should be some opposition you come into it shouldn't be the hardest the easiest thing in the world to be holy in the world and you know in our country that's um, more removed every generation from its biblical or its foundation that was more biblical we've lost a lot of that credibility to where you know my dad my grandparents you know by being a holy man by being you know, someone who's real committed to Christ at the church and all you know there is there was a bit of social credibility that you would gain from that but that's that's pretty much gone nowadays now, you know, if you go to church, that's all right. No one's going to fault you for that most for the most part. But if you want to try and live as a Christian during the week, then you got, you know, you're one of those crazy guys. So all that capital that, that used to have been gained in the church for being a holy Christian is gone now. Now it's, you know, opposed the culture is a, as opposed to us as it has ever been.
2: And that's uh, ultimately that's because any any holiness that we have is a reflection of of God's holiness. You know, it's not the it's not the exact same, but it is a reflection of it. And you look at what Isaiah did, you know, he said, woe is me, I'm undone. Like he recognized his own sin in the presence of God's holiness. And that's why people don't like believers who are exemplifying that holiness is because it points out the sin in their own lives mm-hmm. and they don't like it. You don't even have to say anything and they feel like they're being accused of of sins in their life. And I, I mean, I, th- I think that's why people hate it so much. And uh, one passage I, I thought about was from Matthew 10, uh, you know, Jesus might not have been speaking explicitly about this, but I think it applies well to what we're talking about. In verse 34, says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Where I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And you know, a, a lot of that is is speaking to whenever you seek to follow Christ, whenever you seek to be obedient to his word, you know, those that are the closest to you that don't share that same desire that comes from the Holy Spirit don't share that same desire. They're not going to like the comparison that comes naturally between the way you're living and the way they're living, and it's going to set set you against each other. Even among uh, believers, there can be you know discomfort because one person could you know have more maturity than another, and it you know there's there might even be some tension. More discernment, yeah, or more discernment. <laughs> yeah i mean i've been in places
3: before that you know Yeah, i was at a fourth july party one time and we were there and we were hanging out with some old friends and everything and uh when we got there we got there you know fashionably late 15 minutes or so and uh after being there for a few minutes i noticed there was another couple there was a a female couple who decided to leave and you know they left because i showed up because they they thought i had some type of hostility against them because they were homosexual and i was like well, i didn't say anything to them i didn't do anything i didn't point out or you know i didn't even know you know so i didn't even know they were a couple in yeah. a sense uh but you know th- you run into those situations like that and it is a fine line in a sense that we can become like the pharisees and we got to be careful of that we don't want to be pharisaical we don't want to be hypocrites um in that capacity." So we have to call sin for what it is. We have to stand on God's truth. We have to be abiding in His Word, and when you do that, well, the wicked flee, and uh, <laughs> that when no one pursues. But we have to keep that in mind as well. Is that's, that
1: that's a good point? What you're saying tying into what Clay just said. It's not always like unbeliever believer mm-hmm. situations, but you you know some Christians are more trusting in their works and more trusting in their traditions, like the Pharisees. And when people start to speak out against that, trying to stand on God's word, there'll be tension there too, because the, you know, they're going to love their rules and their regulations because they can keep those that, you know, they've set those up to make themselves look good. They can keep those a lot easier than just, just by faith, trusting God's word.
0: Yeah. I was going to kind of bring this up, but it seems like we went around to this. Also to kind of put up kind of a guardrail against you no know, legalism, what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I think what the story you're talking about with uh, you're walking in with your daddy or grandpa mm-hmm. said, Oh, here comes the preacher. It could be that sometimes we hold the preacher or leaders to a false standard that yep. the Bible doesn't even um that's right put on them. Like you are supposed to hold your leaders in high esteem, but you know, you don't put something on them that scripture doesn't forbid or anything like
3: that yeah. yeah you put your faith in man man will fail you yeah. i will fail you you put your faith in me i'm I'm gonna let you down that's right i'm i'm not perfect okay but just you put your faith in christ he's good just yeah. ask his wife
1: yeah just ask my wife she'll <laughs> tell you <laughs> and that that we're, we're living in an age of celebrity pastors you know so that like absolutely people, and it's not just some you don't have to necessarily be on tv but just somebody in the community can be exalted far above. Where they should be they're just men like everybody else you know yeah yeah i think trying to
4: um line out how we walk that line between being a a pharisee and yet still being a faithful representative of christ in the world is that you know as long as you keep in mind like you know like the apostle paul who he was the chief of sinners you keep in mind that the the biggest sinner you know is is yourself you'll be okay You, you keep the mindset of you're one hungry man going around trying to tell others where to find bread is so that you keep that in mind and you'll you'll do okay i think you won't ever become sure. that, that great hypocrite where everybody else is the center and you're just going around trying to fix them
3: that's it all right well i think we've covered a subject pretty good anything you
2: guys want to bring into it before we close it out maybe maybe one last thing would be how how does understanding god's holiness help us with yes. evangelism yep anybody would want, want to touch on that
1: go ahead and give them the gospel clay
2: (laughs) well i mean i would would just say you know apart from understanding his holiness you know there's you know if if god isn't holy then there's no standard that you've broken with your sin but he is holy there is a standard that he set. he he has his law you know it's very easy to, to run through the ten commandments and to see that you've broken every single one of them and there's you know a punishment attached to that that you've sinned against a holy god not just you know the grandpa in the sky that wants to see everything good and you know happy, you know turn out for you. You know God does have good intentions for you. Uh, the question is, have you broken this standard? And if you have, then you know we're going to hit these other attributes later. But God is also righteous and He's just, and so He has to punish sin. He's He's chosen to punish sin, and He will. Uh, the question is, is He is He going to punish that sin in Christ, or is it going to be punished in hell? and yeah but that's that's where you have the gospel is that people have to be confronted with a holy god because if they aren't they're not going to see their need for a savior because they're not going to see their sin and so that's that's why it's so important for us to understand god's holiness is because if we don't then one there's there's no motivation for us to go out to reach people with the gospel because if god's not holy then people aren't perishing because they're not sinful but he is holy people are perishing they are sinful and they need to be confronted with that message that's something we struggle with but there has to be a loving confrontation with the holiness of god uh, if people are ever going to realize that they need a savior in christ
4: yeah that first step and jesus tells them to repent and believe so you have to repent of your unholiness of your lack of holiness and then turn to god for um for his imputed holiness
3: that's it that's it very good stuff guys what
1: well, if i had an organ right now <clears throat> It's on the soundboard
3: somewhere. Uh, John should have been ready for that one. And, uh, there we go. <laughs> That's your one for the episode. All right. So uh, the holiness of God. Again, go back and check out our website. or There you'll find Joshua's blog post on the holiness of God. Um, also, other resources that you can check out is get R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. Very excellent resource. That's a very uh, definitive work. Also, there's a book called The Identity and Attributes of God by Terry L. Johnson. I highly recommend it as well. And we'll be using that as we go through this series on attributes of God. So join us next time for the EOM podcast. We'll be going through the sovereignty of God in our next episode. Uh, So I hope you look forward to that. Please like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff and keep track of it. You can find us on most podcast apps this is john Pruitt Josh Lee Clay Will and we will see you guys next time